You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. When the seventh month came, and the children of Israel were in the towns, the people gathered as one man to Jerusalem. Then arose Joshua, the son of Josadak, with his fellow priests, and Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, with his kinsmen. And they built the altar of the God of Israel to offer burnt offerings on it, as is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. They set the altar in its place, for fear was on them because of the peoples of the lands. And they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord, burnt offerings morning and evening. And they kept the Feast of Booths, as it is written, and offered the daily burnt offerings by number according to the rule, as each day required, and after that the regular burnt offerings, the offerings at the new moon, and at all the appointed feasts of the Lord, and the offerings of everyone who made a freewill offering to the Lord. From the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord, But the foundation of the temple of the Lord was not yet laid. So they gave money to the masons and the carpenters, and food, drink, and oil to the Sidonians and the Tyrians to bring cedar trees from Lebanon to the sea, to Joppa, according to the grant they had from Cyrus king of Persia. Now in the second year, after their coming to the house of God at Jerusalem, in the second month, Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Josadak, made a beginning, together with the rest of their kinsmen, the priests, and the Levites, and all who had come up to Jerusalem from the captivity. They appointed the Levites, from twenty years old and upward, to supervise the work of the house of the Lord. And Jeshua, with his sons and his brothers, and Cadmiel and his sons, the sons of Judah, together supervised the workmen in the house of God, along with the sons of Henadad and the Levites, their sons and brothers. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments came forward with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals to praise the Lord, according to the directions of David, king of Israel. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, For he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests and Levites and heads of fathers' houses, old men who had seen the first house, wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of this house being laid. Though many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from the sound of the people's weeping. For the people shouted with a great shout, and the sound was heard far away. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the victory that we have in Christ, for his victory over sin, his victory over Satan, and indeed his victory over death. Thank you that in him we stand secure. We stand secure in your life and in your love and in your light. 
and we rejoice that you are with us now. And so be at work, we pray in accordance with your word by the power of your spirit that we'd love you and we'd live for you and we'd be part of all that you're doing in this world. Be at work, we pray for our good, your glory. In the precious name of Jesus that we pray and all of God's people said with one ridiculously loud voice, Amen. 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 That wasn't so bad. Why don't you take a seat? Let's put our hands together. Thank you, Dave. Thank you, Anna. Thank you, team. Love you guys. Wonderful to be with you guys. If you're new or visiting, my name is Guy. Joy and privilege to serve as the pastor of City on a Hill. Uh, We are at week two in a sermon series, Rebuild, looking at the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, a story in salvation history where God rescues his people from exile in Babylon and establishes them in Jerusalem. He's rebuilding their life and worship around him. And of course, rebuild is not only a fitting title for this series, but an apt word and call for our church that as we come out of the the past two years, uh, now is the time to rebuild. Now is the time to come together as God's people uh, and establish a house built on life, faith, and worship in Jesus. And so it's wonderful that you guys are here. Uh, Before we dive into today's text, I want to share a few words of encouragement uh, with you. Uh, Many of you would have heard the news that the government uh, has uh, finally, you know, the government mandates have finally been uh, lifted, uh, meaning that uh, we no longer need vaccine passports for this service and that service. And we're just incredibly thankful to God for that. Uh, we have been praying. Uh, we've been penning letters to uh, those in governing authorities. We know it's been difficult for a whole host of people. So really, really thankful for that outcome and that result. Uh, what this now means is that As of next Sunday, uh, we won't be hosting our gathering uh, at Ivers in Carlton, our church office, but we'll finally be coming together uh, as one people here uh, at Hoyts Melbourne Central for our two morning services. And I appreciate, as I said, it's been a very difficult, uh, really two years for so many people, but really want to give a word of thanks to Graham Chiswell uh, and our church family who've been meeting for the past six months uh, at our office at City on a Hill, uh, uh, at City on a Hill headquarters. Uh, these guys have, have established really a great bond together. They love Jesus and they love this church. And so I thought we could thank the Lord uh, for them. And really excited for this next chapter ahead. Uh, in addition, I want to Uh, invite uh, your prayer and your help uh, as we take uh, our next step forward as a church. Uh, Since starting services back again in 2022, uh, we have welcomed uh, lots of new people. Uh, And you may have noticed that each week more and more people are coming and being part of what God is doing. and, And we're thankful for that. And as part of that, a lot of people have been asking me, um, uh, are you guys thinking of starting an evening service? When are you going to start an evening service again? A lot of people have been asking me about that. Uh, And many of you will know that before our good friend COVID came along, uh, evening service was very much part of our mission and ministry here at City on a Hill, a great opportunity to build community and herald the good news of the gospel. Well, I'm pleased to say uh, that after prayer uh, and of talking with people within our church and talking uh, with our staff team, uh, I'm pleased to share that uh, it is our hope And our desire and indeed our prayer to once again launch uh, an evening service uh, and our hope and prayer is that this would happen before spring this year. 
two whistle, three, yeah, there we go. All right, praise God. I mean, how cool is that? Um, really, really love and passionate about seeing an evening service uh, where we're celebrating Jesus, heralding his good news, forming community, and Lord willing, seeing many people go from death to life. Uh, but as is the case uh, we've seen in the book of Ezra, uh, to make that happen, we really need all hands on deck. Right, And so we're still very early in the piece, and so I just thought we could have a bit of a conversation about this right now, uh, just to kind of get your, your thoughts. So by show of hands, who thinks the start of an evening service is a rubbish idea? Okay, I can't see many hands. All right, all right, let me flip the question for you. Uh, who thinks that the starting of an evening service would be a good idea? Hey, there you go. Take a look around. It's a bit of accountability and encouragement there. Now, keep your hand raised. Everyone's already put down their hands, but put your hand back up if you would be keen to be part of helping us make that happen. Right? All right, a lot of hands. Thank you. Praise the Lord for these guys. Thanks. <laughs> Thankful for them. Well, I have good news of great joy. I've got a QR code. There it is. All right, so here's what I'd love for you to do. Step out in faith with me right now. Uh, open your phone, take down that address, and just, if you could put in your details right now, a name, uh, a number, whatever's required of you there, so that we could invite you to be part of a vision evening. Uh, it'll be an opportunity for me, along with uh, Steph Jard, who serves as a director of ministry, along with some of our staff, to share about the ministry, to share about the vision, and really to invite your hands and your heart to be part of this ministry. As I said, our prayer and our hope is to launch before spring this year, but we're going to need all hands on deck. So thank you for that. Uh, let me now encourage you uh, to grab your Bible. Uh, come with me to Ezra chapter 3 which is where we are today. In week one, we heard the king of Persia stand before the people and he announced the good news that a time of freedom had come for God's people Israel. He was opening the gates of Babylon and he was sending them to Jerusalem to help rebuild the temple. This was that moment of celebration and joy after 70 years of captivity. They're finally going home four months journey home, four months of travel and anticipation and hope. And they've come back to roll up their sleeves and help rebuild the temple. And that's really what marks the first seven chapters of Ezra. Today marks the beginning of that rebuild. And, and my hope and prayer is that as we look at Israel's story, we'll see that it is timeless and timely. And there are a lot of really, really helpful insights and observations for you and me as we think about what God has called us as his people to rebuild. All right, so I've got four observations today. If you'd like to take notes, here's the first one. The rebuild requires an altar of our God. The rebuild requires an altar of our God. So the writer says, when the seventh month came and the children of Israel were in the towns and the people gathered as one man to Jerusalem, then arose Jeshua, the son of uh, Josadak, with his fellow priests, and Jerubbabel, and the son of Shealtiel, they're hard words, with his kinsmen. And they built the altar of, of the God of Israel to offer burnt offerings on it, as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. They set the altar in its place. For fear was on them because of the peoples in the lands, and they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord, burnt offerings morning and burnt offerings in the evening. Right, so in preparation 
for the temple, the people of Israel put their hands to work and they build an altar to the God of Israel. Now, for those of you who are new to the Bible, in the Old Testament, God called Israel to build an altar so that they could make sacrifices for him. And significantly, there's only one place in the Old Testament you can do this, and that is at the temple. All of which to say the building of the altar is the first and crucial step in rebuilding their worship to God. Right, And so every morning and every evening, you'd have people in Israel going to this altar and they would bring with them an animal, an animal without defect, usually a bull or a goat. Uh, They would then kill that animal and they would sprinkle the blood on that altar. They would then burn the animal and the smoke would ascend up to the heavens. You say, why did they do this? Why were they burning offerings and making sacrifices in the morning and the evening? Well, in the ancient world, the people of Israel needed a way to deal with their sin, right? God is holy, we are not. We're made to be in relationship with God, and yet sin fractures that relationship. It separates us. It marks us. Right? And, and, and sin, as you appreciate, is not just uh, causing harm to the environment and, or, 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 or breaking relationships. It is those things. But it's also a personal and public betrayal of God. That's what happens when you sin. You're making a personal and public betrayal of God. Right? And God is holy. God is just. And He cannot turn a blind eye to sin. Right? The Bible, in fact, says the wages of sin is death. God can't turn, he's just, he can't turn a blind eye to that. So what does he do? Does he forsake Israel forever? No. As a, as a gift of his grace, he gifts them with a sacrificial system. Right? It's a means of grace where Israel, though they are in sin, can put forward a substitute on their behalf. Right, the, 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 the lamb, the, the bull, the, the goat, right? It is put forward as a sacrifice of atonement, the sprinkling of blood. It's death for their death, right? And that's why they call it a sacrifice of atonement because through the sacrifice, the debt is paid and, and we are made at one with God, right? Now, I want you to appreciate then how significant this is. Because you need to appreciate that Israel, at this moment in time, have not had an altar for 70 years. For 70 years, they have not been able to deal with their sin. For 70 years, they have had to walk under the burden of their sin and their shame and their guilt And the separation from God. You know those seasons where you feel distant from God? They've been in that distance for 70 years. And yet as the bricks of this altar are established, as the blood of the lamb is poured out, as the smoke of the burnt offering goes up, here at last, they are reconciled to God. Here at last. Their sins are being dealt with. Here at last, their their guilt is 
washed away. They are made one with God. Didn't you see? It's not just a coming home to Israel. It's a coming home to God himself. Now, for you and me who live on the other side of the cross, I hope you can see uh, how extraordinary it is that we live in this moment in time. How incredible it is to know that the altar that was established here in Ezra is nothing but a foreshadowing of a glorious and better altar that we have in Jesus. Right? So you remember what John the Baptist said when he first saw Jesus walking along the road? Right? John was a prophet, right? God inspired him. He sees Jesus. He says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away sin. John, I mean, all through the Old Testament, there's this longing for a much better and perfect sacrifice. Not one that you need to burn offering in the morning and the evening and sin again, morning, evening, sin again, morning, evening. No, no, we need a true and better sacrifice. One that takes away the sins of the world. The one that deals with my rubbish and your rubbish. The one who goes to the cross. And what does Jesus say? It is finished. I think it was John Stott who said, the essence of sin is man substituting himself for God. Well, the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for man. How many of you know that is good news? How many of you know now what to do with your sin? Instead of clinging onto it, hiding it, holding it, fearing God. No, we can approach the, the altar of God, the throne of God with great confidence and resolve. Don't run to sin. Run to Jesus. Know that his arms are open to you this day, saying, come, come all who are weary. Come, all of you who walk in shame. Come and receive my goodness and grace. And know that his grace, know that the altar of Christ is not just a forgiving of sin, but marks a renewal, a reviving of the heart that leads to transformation. I, I uh, listened in on this uh, interview, very moving interview, um, with a, a former pilot uh, from Qantas. Uh, his name's uh, Captain Graham Hood, and very you know, successful career, flown something like 35,000 hours, carried 5 million passengers, like huge success in his career. Um, but he explains that you know, life has been far from easy for him. He lived, he grew up uh, in Sydney, a very dysfunctional family, uh, a lot of brokenness and chaos in the home. Uh, when he was five years old, his brother, older brother, left. Uh, they were living in the red light district, and when things got difficult, they moved out more to a kind of a rural area and ended up living in a, a, in a 15-foot caravan. Right? And he like, talks about being in this like, caravan of like, pressure and chaos and dysfunction in the family. And before he started high school, when he was about 12 years of age, uh, he got severely sick. And he's months and months and months just stuck in this caravan. And he shares that one day he went wandering and exploring just to deal with the boredom. And he came across a stack of, uh, of adult magazines. And, and in seeing all of these you know, naked images, he, he explains that as a young kid, it, it activated something within him and a spiral of addiction that he just couldn't escape. Uh, he says, 
I remember feeling abject, abject disgust with myself. I couldn't stop watching. I became addicted very quickly. And he goes on to explain that his fl- flying career as a pilot was very successful. Uh, he then got married and he thought, if I got married, my addiction would go away. But he says, this was falsehood. I brought two beautiful children in the world, but lived in dysfunction for 30 years. And eventually the marriage dissolved and his addiction got worse. And then one night he explains that he hit rock bottom. Uh, He was on his laptop in his office once more feeding his addiction. And he says this with tears in his eyes. I was in my study on my computer when I saw the reflection of my 12-year-old daughter in the screen of my computer. To her, I was a hero. And I'll never forget the look in her eyes. I thought that would end it for me. I thought I would stop, and I promised I would. But with no foundation for that promise, I found myself two days later back into it again. So the question is, is there any hope for us who are stuck in the slavery of sin? Graham says, there is hope. I spent decades seeking a way out and couldn't find it. I tried self-help, Group counseling, seminars, all those things seemed to work for a little while, but they all faded out. And I recognized I was trying to do this in my own power, and my own power was not enough. I needed someone who had greater power than the power of the addiction that was driving me. And for me, that power is Jesus. He says, I explored Jesus, and I discovered that a man I'd never met some 2,000 years ago, died the worst possible death on the cross. So a filthy porn addict like me could have a second chance. He has the power to take this away. The power is there. It's always there. Whenever I need it, Jesus is there. You hear what Graham is saying? Do you hear the power of the gospel and what is accomplished by his sacrifice on that altar. City on a hill, as we, as we consider our future, I, like you, and like, we're very excited by all the Lord has for us. Um, communities being formed, new ministries being started, churches being planted. But none of that, none of that matters if we've not surrendered our lives to Christ, if we've not allowed his sacrifice and his blood and his power to renew our minds and indeed our hearts. God wants to renew us. God wants to establish his kingdom within us. And that comes through the power of repentance. That comes from saying no to sin and its slavery and receiving the good news of the gospel and applying that good news. Even if you've been a Christian for many years and you're still struggling, you're applying the gospel because Jesus is there. He's there for you. He's guiding you. He's comforting you. He's calling you to himself. This leads to the second observation. The rebuild, it does involve a coming to the altar, but also the rebuild requires obedience to God's word. 
So check this out. It's a small detail, but when I was reading, I just, I, I had to stop on this point because I think it's very important for us. So verse two, we're told, they built the altar of the God of Israel to offer burnt offerings on it as it is written in the law of Moses. Then again, Verse 4, the writer says, they kept the Feast of Booths as it is written. So in rebuilding their life and worship, the people of God, you've got to imagine them here. They've, They've got the cement trucks out and they've got the bricks ready. And as they've got that, they've got other guys and girls with their Bibles open and they're seeking to obey everything that the Bible says about what they're about to do early stages in their journey, you see a repentant heart. We talked about that, but you also see this resolve to get back to God's word because Israel know of their seasons of wandering. They know of their times they thought they were above God's word or they could compromise God's word. And they know what happened when they did that. They know what happened to their people when they neglected God's word. And so here they are at the foundation of the rebuild saying, guys, we've got to have the Bible open. We've got to do as the word has said, not just hear God's word, but actually put it into practice. We've got to trust God's word. Now, of course, the link for us, I hope you can see, is incredibly obvious. Here we are in a time in history, immersed in a culture with so many different ideologies and worldviews. And within our culture, I'm sure you would agree how tempting it is to compromise on God's word, cut out the difficult bits, the things that we find hard to believe, to have our Bibles closed and just to lean on our own understanding or to look to what this person says or that person says. I remember years ago now, um, way back when, um, uh, we had a, a visitor came to one of our newcomer nights and uh, he's a lovely guy and he comes up to me and says, guy, I love this church, I uh, love the music, I uh, love the preaching, but can I give you some advice? Sure, I need all the help I can get. What do, you, what do you got in mind? He says, well, I think it would be better if you didn't talk about Jesus rising from the dead in a literal sense. Because we're living in Melbourne and Melbourne's a very progressive city. And, and, and it's very hard for people to believe this idea that Jesus rose from the dead in some kind of literal historical. What you should say, Guy, is that Jesus rose in the hearts of his believers. He rose in their hearts. If you do that, you'll bring in more people. To which I'm thinking to myself, bring them into what exactly? Hell? Like, let's, let's be really clear about the rebuild for us. Um, this is not a time uh, to be led by what the culture says about God or what the culture says about X or what the culture says about Y. City on a Hill is a church committed to God's Word. We're committed to the Bible. We're committed to having it open and hearing it and then seeking to apply it to our lives, right? I think it's Paul who says to Timothy, preach the Word, right? I charge you, Timothy, preach the Word in season and out of season, 
preach the word in season and out of season. What's in season? In season is when people come to church early, their Bibles are open. If they're Pentecostal, they're yelling out, amen. Amen. Right? If they're Anglicans, they're nodding politely. That's in season. We love in season. What's out of season? Out of season is when people don't really care. They've got their Bible closed. They wander in and out. They're not, they're hardened towards it. You know what Paul says to Timothy? It doesn't matter for you if it's in season, out of season, preach the word. Because the word is life. What else do we have if not the word of life? It's transformative. It's why I love the, 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 the blokes night on Friday night. We had some, almost like a hundred dudes came to my house and uh, uh, Brenton and Danny did an amazing job. It was bucketing. I don't know if you knew what happened Friday. It was bucketing sheets of rain, right? Horizontal rain. Like we had a marquee, but it was like coming in like this. And yet there we were huddled together, singing, lifting voices, praying for one another, eating some good food and going to God's word. This is who we are. This is what a rebuild will take. As we establish, as we gather together as God's people in this city, we will be the church that are committed to God's word. And that's not just about a preach on a Sunday. That's at work in your Monday to your Friday, even your Saturday. You're there and you've got God's word and you're, you're talking about it in your gospel communities. And maybe you're calling up a friend and say, hey, I'm really struggling with this text. Can we, can we talk about this? Or I really want to understand this. We talk about it, right? We're people of the word. Okay, number three, third point. You still with me? All right, number three, the rebuild requires, boom, all hands on deck. All hands on deck, right? Verse one, the writer says, with the coming of the seventh month, while the Israelites were in the towns, they gathered as one man in Jerusalem, or we could say one person in Jerusalem, right? And you want to underscore the word one because it signifies the unity of this moment. Oh, how I'd love to spend another 10 minutes talking about the division we see in our culture right now and the temptation it would be to choose this side and that side. I'd love to spend 10 minutes talking about that. I haven't got 10 minutes, so just see the oneness See the unity. They've been separated for 70 years, and yet here they are. They come together. They recognize their oneness. Just as Jesus prayed, may they be one. They're one. And their oneness is not only expressed in their coming together, but in their commitment to work together, to discover what, what gifts do you have, and what, what gifts do you have, and, and, and how might you be able to contribute, and what, what could you do? All right, well, let's get together. Let's mark this up. Who wants to lead here? Who wants to be on the cement mixer? Who wants to be on this, right? Let's come together and work as one, right? So verse 2, Jeshua with a fellow priest, with his kinsmen, working together to build the altar. Verse 8, check, check that out. All the way to the end of their reading, we've got various families, leaders, getting involved to build God's house, how good is that? How refreshing is that? How challenging is that? Right? Because when you think about culture right now, it's not a new point, but so increasingly individualistic and consumeristic. We have elevated the idol of self so flippin' high, we think we're at the center of the universe. Walk down the street, it's all about me, right? And my wants and my needs. And sadly, that sometimes seeps into the church. Sometimes that seeps into what we think is happening right here, right now, that actually God, church, faith, is just one big spiritual vending machine. I've just got to punch in the right numbers to get the product out of the machine that I want. 
You know, it becomes about my needs, my wants. You know, well, I really want a church with uh, excellent kids ministry, and so punch that in. Or I really, really want a large church, or I really want a small church, or I want a church that's really, really good at um, uh, community, and I like a church that's really got on, focus on these issues or, or, or those issues, right? And, and let, let me be real with you and honest with you, it, those aspirations are great, right? Of course, I want a church that's committed to Bible teaching, a church that's got great community, an excellent kids program. They're fantastic aspirations for us to have. As long as you recognize these aren't products that you just wait for at the bottom of a vending machine, but bricks that you and I are called to build. Church is not a consumeristic uh, product. It's a commitment. It calls for courage. It calls for investment. It calls for all hands on deck. Jesus in a million years would never imagine people just sitting on their hands watching church. Because it's not a spectator sport. He could never have imagined perhaps people just pontificating about what they like and what they don't like. And I can't imagine him doing that because when he got his disciples, he said, go, go make disciples. Be about the ministry, be about the mission. Right, you've heard that analogy. It's not a cruise ship sitting around drinking pina coladas, playing bridge, waiting for the buffet. That's not church. It's a rescue mission. It's a lifeboat. Jesus is our captain. He says, all right, let's go. You got gifts? Bring them on board. You got some resources, some finances? Bring them on board. You got heart, you got prayer, you got passion. We're going to need everybody. Now, I know that when it comes to our ministry and mission, it's, 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 it's all the time, in the sense it happens in informal and uh, um, spontaneous ways. The kindness to a neighbor down the street, the, the willingness to pick up a phone and call a friend who you know has gone through a difficult time, or the, 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 the getting together of people to put meals together to help a, a single parent. Like, yes, yes, and amen to all of those things. We're a city on a hill. We're to, we're to be light. And yet I also want to just signal right now that across city on a hill, there are a lot of very important ministries that really, 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 really need your help, right? So we have um, gospel community leaders who open up their homes through the week. Uh, we have uh, volunteers who are packing meals to serve the homeless. Uh, we have an army of volunteers right now helping with city kids. We have musicians. We have people on the sound and the lighting and services, right? None of that happens without people getting on board with the ministry that Jesus has. In fact, can we thank them for their generosity? <laughs> Love that. And you know what? We need more of that. You know, I asked Stephanie this week, oh, how many, you know, which of our volunteer teams need more volunteers? She's like, oh, everyone. So we need everyone to step on and get involved. That could be helping in the welcome team. That could be helping with the logistics team. That could be that you've got a home. You say, you know what, I'll open it up. Or actually, I'd like to be able to lead a gospel community. Or it could be, I'd like to help out with the city kids ministry. Or you say, well, well where do I start with that? Well, really practical right now. We have a website. And on that website, if you scroll to the bottom, there's a box that says serve. And if you click on that, uh, that'll give you an opportunity to express a way to serve. 
Uh, maybe, maybe you're like, well, what if I start serving in one area and it doesn't work out for me? That's okay. We'll help you find another area. Or what if I don't really know what to do? I mean, I like the idea of helping in this area, but I don't know what, that's okay. We have great volunteer leaders who will help you and train you and support you. Uh, what if I don't know which area to serve in? Let us know. We'll walk that through with you, right? Because here's the thing. We believe that service is not only amazing for our own personal development and the growth of the church, but ultimately the worship of God. We've received everything in Christ Jesus. And so whether it's helping out in the welcome team or logistics or whatever it might be, these are a means of grace to celebrate our God. So you with me in that? All right. Fourth and final point um, as the band gets kind of ready to come up. (laughs) The rebuild is marked by tears and joy. So this is really interesting. Verse 10, the narrator says, When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments came forward with trumpets. Do we have any trumpets, Dave, today? Ah, not biblical. All right. And And the Levites and the sons of Asaph with cymbals. We've got cymbals. To praise the Lord according to the directions of David, king of Israel. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord. For he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests and Levites and heads of fathers' houses, old men who had seen the first house, wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of this house being laid. Though many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not be distinguished from the sound of the joyful shout, from the sound of the people's weeping, for the people shouted with great shout, and the sound was heard far away. It's a really... um, intriguing moment in the story. The first wave of um, exiles are, are working together at the temple. They've laid the foundation. And yet it's clear that not everybody, um, not everyone is excited by this moment, or at least you say there's a lot of emotion in the air. The, the, the old men uh, uh, who, who were there wept uh, at the sight of the new foundation. They're crying. Why are they weeping? Uh, Some have said maybe it's because the new foundation wasn't quite as amazing as the previous foundation, the one under Solomon. Maybe. Um, But I think this is less about the structure itself uh, and more about what the loss signified. Because those who were there previously knew what they had. They knew the glory of God in a time when Israel was standing and the city was built And yet in laying the foundation, they were reminded of how far they had fallen. They were reminded of the loss, the destruction in their own sin. And so perhaps in this moment, there's that tears of lament. You know, it's a bit like the woman who comes to Jesus from the night, the city, and she comes to the feet of Jesus and she's weeping. Why? Because she's thinking about the sin and shame that she brings to the feet of Christ. Um, I think it's always important for us to recognize that when we come to the cross, There's moments, aren't there, where we see what Jesus did and we recognize what it cost him. You know, and that it was our sins, our shame that brought him there. And so we can lament that. And it's right to lament that. But of course, for those um, who are in Christ, this grief over sin and our own destruction should not be alone. We are a people whose tears are marked with sadness but also incredible joy, right? The final section, did you see it? While many of the old men weep, 
there are loud cries of celebration. People are coming forward with trumpets and cymbals and they're lifting up their voice in praise. Why? Because now for the very first time in a long time, the people have returned home. Now, for the first time, they're no longer in exile. Now the foundation has been laid and this foundation signifies a new and glorious season, a time of great celebration, a time of great victory. And I want to underscore that and leave us with that point because while there are moments and seasons to lament, we who are in Christ Jesus have so much reason to celebrate. Jesus came for you. Isn't that incredible? He didn't leave you in your sin. He came for you. He pursued you. And He loves you. And He died for you. He went to the Garden of Gethsemane, blood coming out of His forehead, the agonizing anxiety of that moment. And He goes to the cross. And He goes to the cross because He knows that through His sacrifice, you and me we will be reconciled to God. And despite all expectation, this same Jesus who they crucified rose to new life. The tomb is empty. Jesus is alive. The tomb is empty. You can have new life in God. And that's a reason to celebrate no matter what you're going through in your life. That's a reason to lift your voice. One of my favorite Easter moments was uh, I was with Vanessa at a small country church on the east coast of Australia. And it was one of those services, like many services, that just felt like people were just going through the motions. It was very quiet. It was still, there's probably like 20, 30 people there and kind of like just going through the motions. It's like everyone's looking at their watch, waiting for the service to end. And then midway through the service, when everything was still quiet and everyone's nodding off to sleep, (laughs) this one guy stands to his feet and says at the top of his voice, could somebody get excited? (laughs) Right? So much passion and disgust in one statement. And then he just bolts out the door and he leaves the church behind. (laughs) Right? After the service had finished and everyone's over morning tea, eating some pavlova, he came back. I'm like, oh, this is a guy I've got to meet. And I go up to him. I'm like, mate, what happened? He goes, oh, I just had to go to the fish and chip shop and tell somebody about Jesus. <laughs> right? A little bit crazy, but crazy in a great way. <laughs> crazy in a way that needs, I so often forget. I sometimes forget, man, what it's like to not have Jesus in my life. Sometimes I forget that actually no matter what happens on my Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday, I'm secure in Christ, in His life and His love. And no one can take that away. There's nothing that can separate me from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. No poverty, no pain, no pressure, nothing. We're secure in Him. And in Christ, the best is always yet to come. Because we are being prepared, are we not? Going from one glory to the next in anticipation of the true better life that is to come in Him. 
So City on a Hill, I, I know we come from different backgrounds and traditions, um, but let me urge you, let me plead with you, when it comes to this church, that we'd be a people of loud celebration. That we'd be a people who, when we sing, and thank you guys for leading us in songs and all the work you guys do behind the scenes to lead us so that we can worship. We know this is not a concert. This is worship. And you guys are there serving and we're here, right? We're, we're together in this. We're the choir. So let's lift our voices. Let's not go through the motions. Let's get excited about this gospel that we know. And let's celebrate him. If you want to clap, clap. You want to raise your hands, raise your hands. If you want to dance, be my guest, right? <laughs> Let's celebrate. That encourages, right? When I just wander on in, I'm like, ah, oh. and I see someone singing and celebrating, that encourages me. I'm reminded of the gospel. And it is indeed our worship, celebrating Jesus, praising him. So let's, let's do that together right now. Let's stand. Let's lift our voices. We've got cymbals. We've got a guitar. Let's lift our voices and sing. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.